This is the John Oakley Show podcast. On a great day for talk radio. Although of late, it seems like the Ford government, because they are in government, uh, are taking some heat. There's also the issue of beer, by the way. You know, uh, the monopoly that the brewers have, I guess 31 in total, now own uh, the beer store. And the idea that the Ford government is trying to create a broader distribution network of like 11,000 outlets across the province, but they'd have to break a contract uh, with the brewers who signed this thing in 2015 with the Wynn government. It could lead to fines in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Some are speculating as high as a billion dollars. Now, whether or not it's a trade-off worth making, but we'll delve into that here shortly on the matter of uh, beer and cannabis. This is interesting because right now, There's an industry alliance that's been taking place uh, between alcohol and cannabis companies, and they're looking for changes on proposed rules governing this, uh, pot-infused drinks, and how they're manufactured, how they're labeled, and so on and so forth. Is it a health health consideration? Well, let's find out. Dr. Brett Belchetz has joined us on the line. He's Global News Radio's medical expert. Brett, good to have you back on board. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. All right. On this matter of uh, pot-infused drinks, I mean... I don't know if it's part of your purview, but uh, when when it comes to these uh, products that would be, uh, I guess, manufactured or uh, you know put put together, they're asking for uh, I guess a certain amount of uh, laxity when it comes to where they can be produced. Like for example, brewers want to be able to do them perhaps in their own uh, facilities. Right now, the law doesn't allow for that. Is that a health concern at all? I would say I'm much more concerned about how these beverages are sold, how they're marketed, how they're labeled. I, you know, from my perspective, again, I'm not a, a producer of beverages, so there may be health concerns related to, to producing these substances in the same place, but there, there aren't any that I, I'm aware of off the top of my head. So uh, I, I don't actually have a specific objection unless we're worried somehow about cross-contamination of the cannabis into some of the products that would, you know, hopefully not be supposed to, uh, including cannabis. Uh, that would be my one concern. Now, as long as we're not uh, we're not worried about that, as long as we're clear that the right precautions are being taken in the manufacturing, I don't have a particular concern. But what I am very concerned about here is some of the the direction that I believe this is taking, where there are requests to actually loosen some of the restrictions on marketing these types of beverages. Yeah, for example, they want the existing alcohol brands uh, to carry the product name for the pot-infused drink. So just Typically, I'm blue-skying it here. Uh, Coors Rocky Mountain High, for example. Uh, is that going to be presenting any any risk to youth or anything else that we ought to be concerned about? Or is it just something that might be efficient for these uh, people who are producing the product? Well, it is concerning. I, I think whenever you're introducing a new type of product with, with new substances in it that could be potentially dangerous, addictive, etc., I think we have to be very clear in terms of how they're labeled and very clear in terms of making it, it understandable to the consumer what it is that they're going to be consuming and what risks they're taking. And so uh, I have a number of concerns that if you have labels that may, uh, unfortunately, you know, not through any intentional uh, effect on the part of the producer, but just through you know, the confusion of what the names mean, may actually confuse consumers and believe they're having just an alcoholic beverage when in fact it's cannabis uh, con- infused, that actually could be quite dangerous. And so I would have great concerns. I think we have to be very clear when you have products that contain cannabis, that this is a cannabis-containing product, and that is first and foremost what people need to know because cannabis is the new ingredient on the block that people aren't aware of, and they aren't aware of how it affects them, especially that a lot of people aren't aware of how to take it safely in an oral formulation or a beverage formulation. 
And I think we have to make sure that people know before they know they're having an alcoholic beverage that they're having a cannabis-infused beverage. Right. Uh, and this is part of the rules as they exist right now with the uh, big brewers and, I guess, the uh, companies that are involved with cannabis production can't use the existing names or brands on cannabis drinks. Uh, Molson can't, Labatt's, that kind of thing. And uh, they want those rules relaxed, as I understand it. But uh, let me move away uh, to ask you about edibles are coming online as well. And uh, is there a risk or a danger? I mean, look, in your line of work where you're uh, frontline medical care, do you treat people that are coming off bad highs and such? And uh, do you think that there's a concern with edibles being introduced into the marketplace freely? So to answer your first question, absolutely. You know, I regularly do see people in the emergency room that are having symptoms from the usage of marijuana. And and as much as marijuana has been sold as a benign substance with no risks, that's just not the case. So there is a a fairly decent association between marijuana use and a number of psychiatric symptoms, uh, such as psychosis, such as paranoia, such as agitation and anxiety. And and certainly when people... um, imbibe too much of the substance, it's much more likely that they will have symptoms like this. And there's a whole bunch of other things I'm concerned about with cannabis use, specifically things like uh, something that we call cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, which is a syndrome that causes uncontrollable nausea and vomiting for 24 to 48 hours sometimes from the use of cannabis. And, and that greatly concerns me because when we see people with this in the hospital, there's literally nothing that we have that treats these people effectively. We, we have to watch them suffer and wait it out. But that being said, my greatest concern with some of these edible forms of cannabis is that the effect of of taking the cannabis into your system is delayed, that people have no idea how much cannabis they're actually getting relative to the way that they're used to taking in cannabis, which is smoking cannabis, where the effect is actually quite immediate. And so what we often see is people will imbibe some cannabis. They will have no effect that they can feel within 15 to 20 minutes and they imbibe some more and then they imbibe some more. And all of a sudden it all hits them like a ton of bricks half an hour or an hour later when it starts to really get into their system. And you go from having a very low dose to a very high dose that is much more than the people are able to tolerate very quickly. And that's when we get into a lot of these bad effects like the vomiting, the nausea, the psychiatric symptoms. So I have a great deal of concern over the safety of edibles being out there. And and, and I think that these especially have to be distributed very carefully and labeled very carefully in terms of how they can be used. Is your sense the medical community may not have been adequately consulted before legalization came into play? Uh, You know, I, I, I have to believe that uh, this decision to legalize cannabis was much more a political decision than a medical decision. You know, I don't remember a lot of consultation with the medical community and and whatever opinions were put out there by uh, the medical community were for the most part uh, in favor of caution with regard to legalization to say, this is something that if we are going to do it, we have to be very, very safe about how we do it. And we have to be very clear in in terms of the rules and regulations and processes that we have in place to make sure that harm does not occur. And that's really not the way that I've seen this happen. I've seen this really happen very quickly. Uh, There's a lot of confusion about the rules. There's a lot of confusion about the labeling. There's a lot of confusion about where and when people can consume cannabis or smoke cannabis. So, you know, overall, I I would say I've been disappointed in the way that this has happened. And I certainly am not one who is completely against cannabis. I certainly think, you know, it has its roles for certain conditions in medical treatment. Uh, you know, it certainly isn't as harmful as some other substances that are out there, but but definitely I, I think this could have been done in a far better manner. Yeah, when you cite psychosis, you know, it gets poo-pooed a lot by uh, advocates or proponents, uh, and yet you're there on the front lines of uh, medical treatment, and especially for the developmental brain, we're told up until 25, and yet a lot of young people are uh, consumers of such. Uh, do you foresee that we might be in for a bitter harvest here as far as young people's you know, uh, mental health is concerned? 
Well, I certainly am concerned. You know, it is definitely associated with the emergence of psychiatric symptoms in youth and in adults. And so, you know, I do have a concern that we're going to see an increased incidence of psychiatric issues. Some of the other issues uh, that we've certainly seen are uh, among people who are regular users of cannabis. We see uh, typically less motivation, uh, less enthusiasm for, you know, career progression and, and, and a lot of the things that, that we would typically uh, see as people are growing older, the things that we care about in youth in terms of, you know, them wanting to work hard, you know, move up in school and get better grades. We tend to see a deterioration in a lot of these kinds of metrics. And so there, there are a number of concerns here to say if we make this available broadly to youth. And, you know, even though the recommendations are to not have it available to youth, there's certainly uh, no doubt that once it's legal and out on the streets and available that youth will be having more access to this, you know, Again, are we going to be having a contribution to our youth having, you know, poor achievement in school, poor career progression, poor career opportunities in the long run? You know, is, is this something that, you know, in the long run is going to be damaging to society? I, I certainly think the jury is out on that, but it is something that we should be quite concerned about. Again, with Dr. Brett Belchetz, Global News Radio's medical expert, let me just pivot to something else where uh, it's seen as an alternative to cigarettes, for example, uh, vaping or e-cigarette products. Uh, turns out from the study done at Harvard, the School of Public Health there, they found that many of these e-products are contaminated with bacterial and fungal toxins that cause lung disease. What do you hear? What do you know? Well, yeah, I feel like I'm a broken record today because I'm, I think I've been down on almost everything we're talking about. But, but e-cigarettes are, are one of those uh, areas that, that I, I'm also quite concerned about. Um, it's one of these things that, that's come out with very little research to show that it's safe, very little research to show that it's effective. Uh, every single study that we see on e-cigarettes that comes out uh, evidences a new potential harm related to e-cigarettes. So this is the latest one. Uh, we've certainly seen evidence of carcinogens uh, in other studies in e-cigarettes. Uh, we've seen chemicals like formaldehyde, which we know is quite harmful to people in some e-cigarettes. We've seen studies that show that when youth partake of e-cigarettes, they're much more likely to graduate to become actual traditional cigarette smokers, which is what we've been trying to avoid and lessen for decades. Uh, it, it's very concerning to me on a number of dimensions. I think what we've done is we've taken cigarette smoking, which is a public health hazard that we finally had some success in dealing with, and now we've said we're going to renormalize smoking through the emergence of e-cigarettes, and we have no idea what the long-term effect of these things are. We have no idea what 10 years of e-cigarette smoking will do to you. Nobody has ever done that study. And it may be that 20 years from now, we're going to find that there's a whole new category of terrible illness that occurs as a result of e-cigarette use that we just didn't know about because we didn't have the data. And alternatively, are we going to find that we've created an entirely new generation of regular traditional smokers because we made smoking a normal and acceptable habit again? So I think on every dimension, it, it, it saddened me that this is something that's emerged recently. Yeah, as a public health consideration, you cited. Finally, let me ask you about public health, because now with the cutbacks to public health here in Toronto from the Ford government of a billion dollars, say the critics, uh, it's going to compromise the health and uh, certainly in things like uh vaccinations, daycare inspections, food safety, so on and so forth, student nutrition. Ford government disputes that, says it's really only a minute part of the overall budget and uh, they can make up for that. Uh, How do you as a frontline operative in the medical profession see cutbacks in public health? Is it going to compromise the quality of health services in Toronto? Uh, you know, that's a tough question. Uh, I, I think certainly being a physician and not a politician, um, you know, my experience with public health certainly focuses more on the essential services that they provide. Now, the bigger question is, is this funding cut going to affect those essential services? And, it, you know, if you read some articles, uh, you know, there, there are certainly some dramatic and worrisome statements being made about the budget cuts. If you read other articles, it's actually, you know, it's over 10 years. That is the sum total of cuts over 10 years. And, you know, the percentage-wise decrease is actually quite small if you read other articles. So, you know, the bigger question 
question is, if we look at the budget for public health, which actually has gone up in Toronto quite considerably over the last few years, what percentage of that budget is going to essential services versus non-essential things where there are savings to be had? And to be honest, I'm not sure because the accounting of where that budget goes isn't available. It's not something that I'm aware of. And so, you know, if this results in the cutting of vaccination programs and food safety programs, absolutely. I think that that's a big concern. If what we're talking about is cuts that actually, you know, are addressing areas where there just are savings to be had, because we need to have savings across the board in our budgets. You know, we, right now we're struggling to fund things like hospitals and physician care, et cetera. You know, certainly we need to be mindful that that budget is limited uh, in all areas. And I think we have to look for savings where we can find them. So, again, what I would say is really um, as long as this is not cutting those really significant and important frontline programs, you know, I'm open to, to potentially, you know, understanding it better. But it, we have to be wary. I think we have to watch what is getting cut and what's not. Again, it's a political football. I'm sure we'll kick around from time to time. I appreciate your weighing in as always, Brett. My pleasure. You have a great day there. Thank you, Dr. Brett Belchutz, Global News Radio's medical expert on the matter of uh, provincial cuts and uh, other areas where the province is uh, wading into big ticket items. Here on the Oakley Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 